is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. There's a storm coming. Kill the heroes! The hockey team from hell! Party! Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. You learn of the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about that person? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we just have to kill her. Yep. Jewel Schumacher Phil. Holy franchise-killing movie, Batman. It's the pop culture historians. We've reached a major milestone. So major that I suspect we might have some new listeners just off of like, oh, it, they finally got into this movie, have they? So uh, I might do a little bit more table setting here than I normally do. Uh, I'll start by introducing myself. My name's Ryan Ritter. I'm one half of the pop culture historians. The other half of the pop culture historians is Jimmy McShane. He's on the line with me right now. Jimmy, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, it's a, we've reached a movie that we've uh, been talking about for a long time. Uh, I guess I, I should explain what exactly we're doing here. We're a show that's kind of in two halves. There's kind of like two concurring series going kind of uh, in tandem with each other. Uh, when we're not going through uh, classic Doctor Who chronologically, like the insane people that we are, um, we're going through the superhero movie genre uh Sequentially, chronologically, I guess, uh, like the insane people that we are. Uh, we're in the 90s. We've reached 1997, uh, a kind of a pivotal year <laughs> in many ways uh, for the genre. Kind of the end of, kind of the end of this phase of the genre, I would say. Um, it kind of lays dormant for a couple of years. There's some good stuff here and there, but as you, this is, this is as, you alluded to, as you alluded to at the beginning of the. Uh... The episode it kind of kills it a little bit uh yes yes um it's a movie i'll i i, I will introduce it by saying this um kevin feige marvel studios uh create i don't know what, what his official title is um, executive producer i think yeah executive producer uh kevin feige has once described this as the most important superhero movie ever made 
And by that, he means it was so bad that it kind of forced studios to rethink how they approach superhero movies. And maybe in terms of how much attention to the source material do they give and how much kind of more respect to the actual comics that they come from. Maybe an overrated aspect a little bit, I would argue. Um, but I, I kind of understand that from a 1997 perspective. Because, hey, you know, Penguin from Batman Returns is not very comics accurate. And uh, it's great. So, but I get what he's saying. But and I think yeah, I think it's a strong way to introduce this week's movie, Batman and Robin. Tonight's forecast: a freeze is coming. Released in 1997, it's got. I mean, I almost feel silly kind of setting it up because I feel like anyone our age or older remembers this movie well. Likely saw it in theaters. In fact, we'll start there before we give our initial thoughts or before we get our uh, resident. Movie critics' opinion. Uh, Jimmy, this is a movie you saw uh, in theaters, I'm guessing? I know you've seen it before. I, I saw it in theaters with my father, yeah. Yeah, I saw this in theaters with my mom, which feels insane. Um, <laughs> but I remember reading, like, a Disney Adventures, like, interview with, like, I don't know, like, Akiva Goldsman or some, someone involved. It wasn't, it wasn't Schumacher, I don't think. And it was just talking about, like, yeah, you know, we really, really the difference between this and like the other movies, we really, really get into like the psychology and like the, the pain that Batman had about like, <laughs> I love shit like that. Yeah. If I can find it, I'll never be able to find it, but if I can, I'll, I'll see if I can post it or something. Cause I remember like a nine year old me going like, I've never seen a Batman movie in theaters before. And I'm, I'm a grown up now. I want to see this. This sounds great. And you know, <laughs> not to describe my mom too much on here, but like, this is not her cup of tea. And I'm no. sure she wanted to blow her brains out the entire time. <laughs> you know, uh, that, you know, that reminds me of go for it. The TV show heroes. Okay. <laughs> sure. Now yeah. anyone who's not seen heroes, right. It kind of famously had a, like a unexpectedly popular season one. Everyone, most people really enjoyed its first season. And then, like, every season after that, people didn't like consistently. And in my opinion, that's because it got really terrible. Um, uh, point, I would agree with you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and to, to the point where, like, it just lost a lot of its following to the point where I don't even know if it has a cult following anymore. Um, I've never heard anyone say anything. Even when it, like, came back to, like, a revival season, I feel like people, like, were watching it, like, sarcastically. Like, even people <laughs> who used to like it were like, yes, hurt me again. <laughs> it was kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of the um the, the, the vibe i got but i i remember seeing some hype piece for heroes uh i think like season three after like it's kind of reputation that's taken a hit a little bit and they were talking to the actors and they're like oh man when i got the script for this season like i couldn't believe how good it was <laughs> like oh the script is so great you know what i mean and i was like yeah yeah the yep. script was never <laughs> like even during season one like the dialogue sucked. it was just such a cool story about like you were sucked into it yeah no it was never like a i'm going to see this i'm going to watch this show for like the writing is never not really anything anyone's ever said and so it was just funny hearing the the actors like and their job is on the line like they know the show gets canceled they gotta find work yeah no that's uh, fair uh it was was just funny hearing people like just bullshit like the (laughs) what they're trying to sell like the show or movie they're trying to sell and like it's not like he's making anything up. They, they there is like this attempt to kind of like dig into like all that stuff. It's just that part is arguably not very compelling or very good. Um, 
<laughs> if I'm being honest, I find it difficult to find much compelling or very good about this movie. Well, you know, I think that's a great transition. We can kind of get into uh, how we feel. But first, we have to, because, you know, we're just two schmucks. We're pop culture historians, but we're not <laughs> film critics by any means of the imagination. But luckily, I do have a very famous movie critic on retainer. His name is Leonard Malton. It's been time for Lenny's movie review corner or whatever it's called. Um, play the music. This is where I bust out my Leonard Malton's 2010 movie guide. We're going to flip through, find his capsule review. For those I of you heard, who are new yeah. to the series, uh, Ryan has a um, thick-ass book of Leonard Malton movie reviews. They're short little snippets about the movie, and he rates them on a scale from one star to four stars. Four stars being the best, one star being the worst. Of course, he represents one star with a bomb, and then it goes up. It goes up half a star. So bomb, one and a half stars, two, two and a half stars, three, three and a half stars, four. Uh, you know what? Um, pop culture uh, historians exclusive. That 2010 movie guide you're referring to has has since split in half. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not doing great. But uh, if it can hang on to will we at least get to 2010, um, it will have served its purpose. <laughs> and we're kind of close. It's already 1997. Yeah, um, that's true. We were, it was 1930, like a year ago. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it's. Yeah, Leonard Malton maybe had to be put out the pasture here pretty soon, but not for ne- not for right now. I do have to recuse myself from this part of the game where you predict, and people at home can predict as well, what he might have given this. Because I do know what he gave it, so I can't play. Um, but I don't know if you have a guess, Jimmy. My guess is one and a half star. Okay. I'll give everyone at home uh, a little chance to <laughs> lock in their answers. <laughs> Two and a half. What? God damn it. I thought <laughs> I was getting better at this game. Yeah, you had nailed like the last couple. You were on a good run. No, he's weird with these Batman movies. I, I should probably like back up and explain. Uh, maybe I can set the uh, bar a little bit. Like what he's giving past ones. He gave the first Batman two and a half. Just for context. Sorry, the um, Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Keaton, yeah. <laughs> 1966 Batman, he gave two stars. Which I think is um, ridiculous. Uh, Batman Returns got two stars, and Batman Forever got three stars. He's all over the map. Well, he really likes the, Schum- the Schumacher's vision for these movies, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's yeah. weird that he didn't like the Adam West Batman. Then. That's a good point, because that, that is like the better version of what these are. <laughs> um, Batman number four spotlights two colorful villains, Schwarzenegger's lusty Mr. Freeze. What? Okay, all right. Wait, lusty? And, is, I think he... that's even the one thing he's not. I mean, he loves his <laughs> wife, but he's not like, Lusty. Ah, yeah. I, I, need, I need to go to bed now. Yeah, he's just like, he just like loves her. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he got these mixed up. Lusty Mr. Freeze and Thurman's deliciously nasty poison ivy. I would swap those adjectives. Yeah, I would too. Maybe. Uh, whatever. Typing error, I guess. So uh, Mr. Freeze and Thurman's, Uma Thurman's deliciously nasty poison ivy, who for different reasons want to destroy Gotham City. But even their antics can't sustain an overlong episodic film in which the story, in, in uh, quotation marks, often makes no sense. 
Clooney is okay, but unremarkable as Bruce Wayne's last Batman. Ditto for Silverstone, Alicia Silverstone, uh, as the new Batgirl. The action and effects are loud, gargantuan, and ultimately numbing. End of this Batman cycle, followed in 2005 by Batman Begins. Hmm. <laughs> we could do a whole show based off how we feel about that review. Um, <laughs> well, Jimmy, you know, that's, that's Leonard Malton's opinion. You've kind of, kind of started easing into like, how you feel about the movie. So let me get into general thoughts, and we'll start with you. You said that you, you, you don't find much <laughs> to like about oh. this. Expound on that. You know, I was, after watching Batman Forever and being like, you know, this, this movie isn't that bad. Like, you've watched Batman Forever from the point of view that it's trying to be Adam West Batman. It's, it's more like, it, I was able to enjoy it more than I had in the past. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into this movie with like a fresh look. Like, this is big, campy, cartoony Batman um, maybe, maybe this one isn't so bad. And I wish last time we had our, our friend Greg on to, to ex- expound what he liked about the Batman, the Schumacher Batman. I wish he was here because I'm struggling <laughs> to find good stuff about this movie. Well, you know, as they say sometimes in, uh, Mar- uh Marvel movies, stay to the end of the credits. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, no, he loves, no, he like, he like likes this movie. So it would have been interesting to get that counterpoint. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes the pop culture is starting to have to go at it alone. I feel like, uh, I, I, just, I feel like, you know, uh, Schumacher knew what he wanted from this movie, but what he wanted was stupid. <laughs> like, 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 okay. You want to have your, your main villain say a bunch of cheesy puns? Okay, I'm all on board on that. You want to have your main villain only say cheesy puns? That's where, you, <laughs> that's where you're going too far. <laughs> Not every single line of dialogue Mr. Freeze says has to have the word ice in it. <laughs> and you know what? It'd be one thing if Freeze wasn't in the movie that much. Then it'd be kind of like, oh, okay, that's fine. He just says ice a lot. But no, he's in this movie a lot. He might be in this movie more than Batman. Like, I was going to say, he might be the only character that has like a palpable dramatic arc or anything resembling one. Like, he he's, does, he's, yeah. he's basically the main character in a lot of ways. And, and so, like, Maybe your main Alfred. character, every fucking line he says is a pun. Like, it's not, it, <laughs> it doesn't work. It, it gets tiresome and annoying. <laughs> No, no, you're right. Yo, you're totally right. So that's the, this is, so you're, you're low on this movie, it sounds like. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was hoping yeah. to be higher, but. Yeah, it is interesting. I think Batman Forever, they feel like they should be of a piece, right? Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. But there is something different about Batman Forever that kind of makes it more palatable or something, I guess. Yeah, I'm torn on Batman and Robin. And uh, I might be at a point where I'm just, I'm going to be for a while. Because I saw it as a kid. I mentioned that. Loved it. I was like, this is great. <laughs> kind of quickly realized no one else really feels that way in my fear group. So after a couple of years, I kind of went, yeah, maybe this movie does suck. And then I watched it again. I'm like, yeah, this is awful. And now I'm kind of like, it's like, it's like the two versions of the movie I had in my head. The one I saw as a kid and the one I saw as a teenager are like now like overlaid, like precisely 100% on top of each other. Like the, it's a confounding movie to me uh, watching it again uh, for this for this show because it's both good and bad at the same time. 
often for the exact same reasons. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. Like, you have, uh, if Greg were here, I think he would mention the, uh, yeah, Schumacher's pulling out, like, uh, stuff from, like, German Expressionism, like, from, like, the 20s and 30s in here. Like, even when stuff, like, looks like shit, like, there's all these, like, shadows and stuff that he's playing with like it's it's weirdly clear that he knows what he's doing but as you say there's like what he wants to do doesn't make any sense but like it's done beautifully in its own little weird way like i know yeah. it looks like a Batman show, but yeah and uh you know he, he mentioned during a batman forever episode that like uh uma thurman in the gorilla suit is like a very very like specific reference to uh Marlena Dietrich movie, I think, for all Blonde Venus, and that is a one to one. If you look that up, Marlena Dietrich is coming out of a, <laughs> is out of a so he has like all it's a, it's a weirdly literate movie. It's like the first twenty minutes because that's like the movie guy like, goes insane like immediately, right? Like yeah. it's going, it's like you're immediately like seeing like diamonds being tossed around like a like it's a hockey puck by like all of um <laughs> Mister Freeze's. Uh, like henchmen, and he gets like he has probably has like a hundred puns. I feel like eighty of them are like in this first ten minutes. It's just like nonstop. But I kind of liked it. I was kind of like, you know what? This is sort of like it's like sixties Adam West Batman on crack. If uh, if people still talk like that, and then it gets to get gets like boring. Like there's like long stretches where like you don't care about anything. Like it's Clooney can't Clooney is like weirdly bad. Like I've never seen him like this bad before. Like. He's worse than I remember, and I've been alluding to thinking he sucked in this movie for a long time on this show. And like, he's a little bit worse. Like, I've never seen him charismatic, charismaless, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And like, Uma Thurman, like, has the perfect vision of what this should be, but like, she's not doing it. So it's, it's weird. So it's like, she is, she is both good and bad at the same time. It's a, it's a, it's a confounding movie. I don't, I don't know whether to call it good or bad. I have no idea how I'm going to rate this. I have no idea. So I like, know it, it's not this massive flop that I, I don't think it earns the reputation it has, but it's not good. I can't reclaim it. So it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hear you. You know what? Oddly enough, <laughs> I can't believe it. I kind of like George Clooney in this movie. He's playing it weird, right? I mean, it's because they kind of give Batman an emotional arc where he's trying to deal with his parental, you know, fraternal figure potentially dying that being Alfred, they, you know, mm-hmm. Alfred sick the whole movie and he kind of knows it and they don't, you know, he, he kind of knows it the whole time, but he doesn't really know it till towards the end. But like, I feel like this is the first version we've had of Bruce Wayne. We've had like the Michael Keaton kind of disturbed version and the Adam West goofy version and the, um, you know, Val Kilmer kind of, mailing it in but like lonely version this, this yeah. year the, the word that comes to mind for what Clooney I think was going for was debonair I can see you that kind of kind of detached taking everything in stride you know making bad puns you know not his sure. fault necessarily but you know yeah this is why two men worked alone you know I mean oh yeah I'd never leave home without it yeah <laughs> uh, you know and so he's, he's kind of just like playing everything super cool and detached and debonair. And I thought that was kind of an interesting take on Batman and Bruce Wayne and not one, not one I think is typical, but one I think kind of makes sense. And it fits his persona. So maybe I'm just, maybe I've just always been interpreting like an intentional detachment as like an unintentional detachment. I always just think about 
I mean, obviously, it's his real first line is like something like, I don't know, it's like, I'm going to get drive through or whatever. Like, but, um, there's a, there's a moment in that opening scene where, um, he just kind of, he kind of like leaps in front of, uh, Mr. Freeze. He goes, like, Hey, Freeze, I'm Batman. And he sounds so like he's not even in the room. Like, it's so detached. And I couldn't, I, so maybe, I'm, maybe that's an intentional choice. I'm just misinterpreting. I've always interpreted, I've always interpreted it as just like somebody going, like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I freeze. I'm Batman. And it could be. I could be being overly generous. Um, and of course, uh, it's possible that line Clooney just didn't give a fuck. Because I, mean, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. And it's like, it's still such a weird line reading. Like, it's one thing hey, to be hey, Batman. I'm Batman. It's another thing to just like. I, and maybe he was like, kind of like, it's a, it's a pun because like Michael Keaton famously said on Batman, right? Ah, so, good point. so Clooney was maybe trying to like, Play with that a little bit, you know, it was like kind of a goofy way of saying I'm Batman. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It didn't work, whatever he was going for with it. But that's why this movie is so confounding. Like, you can just kind of stare at it. You can almost get whatever you want out of it. Like, is it an intentional homage to past movies? Is it an intentional choice to have him say it weird? Is it just Clooney being weird? We'll never know. And that's the beauty of this thing. Sure. <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this movie um, did something to my brain. I don't know. I just feel very. <laughs> <laughs> I feel um, soupy today. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Uh, speaking <laughs> of soupy, so was Uma Thurman the whole movie. Um, Ooh, yeah. That's I, very good. Well, it's interesting. I just think I think she's having a really good time. I think Agreed. it's a very poorly written character. Again, you know, it's again. Everything's a pun. Everything is over the top and campy. And I wonder, sometimes I wonder, take Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Like, he, most people can agree he's kind of a standout in that movie. He's kind of... Um, he's the first thing you think of when you think of Batman Forever. He's the first thing you Batman think Forever. of. And he's big and he's broad and he's bold and everything that that movie is. And I was, I was thinking, like, maybe... And, like, Schwarzenegger is actually entertaining in this movie, even if his ice puns get annoying. Mm-hmm. But Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman oddly isn't, and she's a better actress than the other two, even though I do think Jim Carrey's a really good actor, right? I mean, she's a best, and I'm starting to wonder if, like, maybe being a good actor actress isn't what you need for this role. What you need to do is be a good entertainer. You know what I mean? Ooh. Because that's what Schwarzenegger yeah. is. Schwarzenegger is not really an actor. He's an entertainer. He goes on screen. He's got a big presence. And a, a way about him that many people find entertaining, including myself. Same thing with Jim Carrey. He's a stand-up comedian, a sketch comedian. And he can be a really serious actor when he wants to. But he's also really good at being an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman's a great actress. I'm not sure I think she's a great entertainer. That's and an I, think, hmm, I think maybe, maybe a like female comedian would have been better for this role. And I, I don't know who. Yeah. I'm not sure who they even considered. But I think going with someone who is a really good actress for that role, maybe counterintuitively, was the wrong choice. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't, I'll dip into my um, kind of production notes here a little bit and uh, let you know that there were a couple people that they were considering before they landed on Uma Thurman. And none of them were like comedians, really. Um, the big three were Julia Roberts, Demi Moore, and uh, Sharon Stone. Now, of those three, I would probably go Sharon. If those are my three options. That's just me. I think I think she could have really sold like the kind of 
I mean, frankly, maybe it's just the base. Maybe it's just the basic instinct talking. But like, I think she could sell like the kind of like poisonous sexuality of the role um, better than the other two. But that's that's. But I, I don't see they're none of, they're all about they're all cut from the same cloth, right? Well, right. Well, of course, Demi Moore was also in Swifties, right? So fair enough. Good point. Whereas Julia Roberts has found the odd one out as far as yeah. I don't think Julia would. I don't role. think Julia Roberts would have been very good in this. I think that's probably a good choice to not pick her. I mean, I like Julia Roberts. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think she's a good fit for the role. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure anyone would have been good in this role because it's not it's a good terrible. role. It's terribly written. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the advantage Schwarzenegger had is like they rewrote the part to kind of fit him once it was clear, like, oh, he he's gonna he'll say yes to this. They like rewrote it to like make it a Schwarzenegger role. Like they were thinking like Hop- Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris. Allegedly, hmm. Patrick Stewart Schumacher has denied that um, for some reason. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, we heard sure. you wanted to cast this really good actor. Nope, <laughs> not us. <laughs> but yeah, but once they uh, once they kind of realized, oh, we can get Arnold, they kind of rewrote it to be an Arnold role, which is why I think it fits him so well because he's just being Arnold. It's all maybe it may be the quintessential Arnold role, role which is a uh, that's a that's a massive title to assign anything, but. It kind of has everything you look for outside of him maybe actually like kicking some ass here and there. But if you're looking for like the punny Schwarzenegger, do I have the movie for you? It's Batman and Robin. It's nonstop. <laughs> it is nonstop. Kind of reminds me <laughs> of like Predator where like there's that one <laughs> yeah. sequence at the beginning where he's just like killing a bunch of people and making puns the whole time. And then, yes. but he like stops with a pun so the rest of the movie can be good. Here they just don't stop. Yeah, no, Predator is like a perfect movie because it's, it, it's exactly like the first 20 minutes is just like your standard action, like jungle Schwarzenegger recon mission. And he's, yeah, he's letting them fly. He has <laughs> so many. And then an alien shows up and like, oh, time to get serious. Yeah, it's, a perf- it's the perfect movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, spoilers, I guess, for a 35-year-old movie. But um, <laughs> we also only spoiled the premise of it, like, yeah, that's true. There's like another like hour and twenty after that, but like, yeah, um, I like the idea of spo- I don't even want to know what the movie's about. Don't tell me that. I just want to like hear the title. Like, and just sometimes I'm that way. Like I kind of like going in blind to a movie a little bit. It happens every once in a while, and it can be kind of a rewarding experience. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw 2012's Chronicle, a movie we'll be covering on this uh, podcast here eventually, uh, and I came I went into that completely blind. And, uh, you know what? I enjoyed enjoyed it for the most part. Mm. There you go. Since I'm in the production notes, I'll just kind of uh, weed through these a little bit because there's a lot to get to here, including a Batman sequel that never got made. But I feel like we should at least mention it. Uh, so we'll start at the top. Batman Forever made a lot of money. However, people feel about it. We were sort of mixed on our uh, episode, but um, generally positive with some caveats. It made money sequel was commissioned bing bang, boom nothing to it schumacher and akiva goldsman returned as director and screenwriter uh, respectively chris o'donnell came back val kilmer clearly did not come back because he's not in the movie <laughs> not clear whether he was fired or he quit schumacher has sort of said it was a kind of both at the same time uh as you recall he was kind of difficult to work with <laughs> um a uh, an allegation that Val Kilmer has not ever really shook, to my knowledge. So it, who knows? But uh, the search was on for another Batman, and this I actually kind of remember this being like a story. Like I was again, I was like probably eight or nine when this was being made. But I was just young enough, or just old enough, I guess, 
start paying attention to like the trades and like what's going on in Hollywood. And I feel like this another search for Batman is on in Hollywood. Like this is already like kind of like old old news for people. He's like, here we go, another Batman. Uh, they weren't looking at a whole lot of people, I don't think. Uh, yeah, Deco- they started on Clooney pretty early on. David Duchovny has claimed that they were looking at him for it, and he's joked that, like, oh, my nose is too big, so that didn't let me do it. I don't really know what that's, I think that's supposed to mean. But I guess there, I guess there's a universe where Duchovny was you know our, what? our third I can, Batman. I can see Duchovny as a Joel Schumacher Batman. Honestly, I'd be intrigued, especially because it's like – like X Files was like at its peak, right? This was like what season four or yeah. five? Like I don't remember. When did the movie come out? Uh, the X Files movie at ninety eight. Ninety eight. So yeah. 98. So yeah, right around there. So yeah, yeah. So he's like he's like on fire. Like he's 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 never been better. He's never been hotter, both in terms of career or <laughs> as a man. May I say, uh, he's a good looking guy. Um, but yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't really know if he's being serious here i don't really know if they're really looking at him to be honest but it's intriguing but it's interesting well we'll get into we'll get into uh clooney's kind of career at this point when we get the cast notes <clears throat> i think one of the big things that saddled this movie kind of from the get-go and akiva goldsman has said that this was a problem even in pre-production uh, allegedly and i believe it from the comments made by the cast and kind of how the movie came up there was a clear studio mandate we want you to make Batman. We want you to make Batman Four the same way you did Batman Forever. We want you to make it more toy etic, and that is a term that I think is something we need to start tracking and holding on to because it was a '90s Hollywood thing. But I think it's it, it's sort of a self-explanatory term. But just to confirm, toy etic is a way of like how we want you to make this more viable in terms of merchandise. So anything that can become a toy that we could possibly make a toy, we want you to put in there. And I think that is something that kind of settled it a little bit. I think it's it, it sort of smells a little bit of an excuse for kind of how it turned out a little bit. Yeah, but you Crystal can. Do- yeah, Crystal Donald. You can make cool movie. things that you can sell as a toy and still make a good movie. I don't know. In fact, being toy addict is something every superhero movie is these days. Like yes, agree. Or everything, everything. I mean. <clears throat> Even, like, they made a He-Man TV show in the 80s so they could sell He-Man toys. Uh, Transformers. Transformers is probably the best example. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, um, can't tell you how many Paw Patrol toys they have. And every season they come out with, like, a, <laughs> you know, a new thing. Like, Paw Patrol is, becomes, becomes super dogs. Or, if they, or then Paw Patrol can, like, go under the sea. And so you have to get all the Paw Patrol sea dogs. And then, like, every, like... They're constantly, well, like, doing this shit. Oh, you can even think, extrapolate out to, like, now, like, the last 10 years, especially with, like, like the Funko Pop bubble. Like, mm-hmm. anything can be a toy. Like, Breaking Bad, is that, like, now toyetic? Like, because there's, like, a Walter White <laughs> pop-up? Like, is Beyonce or Taylor Swift, are they toyetic? Because there's, you know what I mean? Or, or mm-hmm. um, LeBron James, is he toyetic? There's probably a pop Funko Pop of him somewhere. <laughs> like, That's a good point. Like, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I actually think the toy aspect of it is kind of what is, I'm going to feel like such, I'm going to sound like a numbskull here, but I, I, I think I'm right. I think the toy etic aspects of this movie, I'm already kind of sick of the term toy etic. <laughs> I really don't like it. It sounds, it sounds weird, but I think it's adds to some of the cooler parts about 
the movie, like Mr. Freeze's like ice truck or whatever with like all the spikes on it. Mm-hmm. Clearly meant to be a toy. Right. It looks cool to me <laughs> as like a tan- tangible thing to like you feel like you could touch it. <laughs> like you feel like it was probably fun to like sit in on set. It looks, even though it looks fake, it looks more real than like a CGI thing. So I don't know. I, am I totally? If, <laughs> am I a mark here? Like, do you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I see what you're saying. And we're we're all marked all the time. Like, the, that's fair. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like the the idea of like having things in there to look cool that you can sell as a toy. Like, what was my favorite part of the Tim Burton first Batman movie? It was a fucking Bat- Batmobile. Yeah, Batmobile. And that had good things besides it. You know what I mean? Like that had a really good Joker story, and I love Michael Keaton as Batman, stuff like that. But Batmobile was so fucking cool. I don't know. I'm touching so much today, but so cool because it, it brings it out in you. What, yeah, it brings it out in you. We're gonna get the explicit tag on this one, Jimmy. <laughs> we're gonna lose. We're gonna get demonetized. And um, and that was clearly to sell a toy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I think. I think it's okay to have things in a movie where the the goal is to be kind of a cool thing that you might want to get later. And, you know, maybe that was too much of a focus, but that's not an excuse for having, you know, villains with no meaningful personality. I mean, okay, I guess Freeze did, but Ivy really didn't. Ivy didn't, yeah. You know, and like the whole Batwoman story, Batgirl storyline, it was a mess. It wasn't good. That's awful. It was awful. Alicia Silverstone was not good in this movie. Like none of the yeah. main, none of the main three actors had any chemistry. O'Donnell, Silverstone, and Clooney, none of them had any chemistry with each other. And I think that's why the movie kind of feels over long because by the time they all get together, we're in like this third act thing. Where like it's like oh all Gotham City is gonna freeze and like the three of them gotta figure out how to do this together and it feels like they're not even in the same room. Yeah, it's not good. It's it's it, not it, good. It, it, it's a frankly, of a finale. It is, and well, and frankly, um, you know, the whole thing is Batman needs to learn to trust Robin, um, but Robin's a liability in this movie. Batman's oh, concern a, is yeah, Batman's concern is completely valid. His trust issues with Robin, in my opinion, are well earned. I, I hate Robin in these two movies. I really do. No, he's, he's, not only is he, but like, like they, they need to do things to justify Batman not trusting him, right? Right. But like, I disagree. And so they have him do things so Batman's justified not trusting him. And then they like lecture Batman for not trusting him. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Robin just fucked up. Like, yeah. He has to like be bailed out many times. Like how many scenes How many times does Freeze get away? Yeah, because Robin screwed up. Well, and um, how many scenes in this movie is it like, hey, don't trust Poison Ivy. Like, we clearly know what her thing is. And it's like, you're just jealous because, like, she's into me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Like, whatever. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, doesn't excuse script issues. Like, I don't know. I, I, it, it's not invalid. I'm sure the studio is probably, like, a pain. I don't doubt that. Mm-hmm. This is Warner Brothers we're talking about, but I don't know. It, it feels a, it feels a little excusey to me. Um, I, it just kind of feels like from what people were saying about being there on the set, like Chris O'Donnell has kind of made like the comment that, you know, the, again, take this quote for what you will. 
it, Batman Forever felt like we were making a movie. With Batman and Robin, felt like we were making a toy commercial. A loaded statement, <laughs> I understand, but I kind of get what he's getting at. It just kind of felt like it was a softer shoot than last time. Kind of a distracted shoot. Part of that was Arnold. Not that he was it, he was not a problem, but just his presence on a set changes things. So paparazzi kind of swarmed because I guess like photos of him on set could go for like ten thousand dollars. So it just kind of added like a circus element. <laughs> Uh, as far as I understand it, he wasn't really a diva here. Uh, I do know he had a con- contractual mandate where like, he could only be on set for like his day cannot go over 12 hours, which seems reasonable to me, but um, that costume took a while. <laughs> so that ate up a lot of that 12 hours. So like they didn't have a whole lot of shooting time with him. I guess him and O'Donnell were never on set at the same time. They had to like do stand in stuff. So it's just, there's some disconnect and some kind of just fuzziness and just, it wasn't a clean shoot from what I could tell. It was sort of chaotic and not in a way that they led to good decisions. That's what it's, that's what it seems like to me. And I think that kind of reflects on screen a little bit, a lot bit. Yeah. I would agree. So. But at the same time, I, I, like I felt like there's actually too much Arnold in this movie. And I kind of feel like the, the choice should have been like, because cause sometimes like, Sometimes a, a really memorable is best in small doses. Like, what is it? Darth Vader in the first Star Wars movie is only in it, what, like 15 minutes? Is that right? That sounds right. I don't know. I mean, I don't actually know the stat, but I think that that, that sounds right. He's really not in it much at all. Right. But they make, me... they, make, they make so much out of um, when he is on screen. And I know, I don't know if you're going to look it up right now. but I'm looking up right now. Oh, okay. I do know that when they were like... Ex- working on extended universe stuff. And even when Disney kind of reset all of it, like I know that move that kind of pissed everyone off. But um, the thing was, if we're going to use Darth Vader in an extended novel, we, ha- we have to make sure it's special because Darth Vader doesn't have a whole lot of lines traditionally. So if we're going to add lines mm-hmm. to like his canon, we have to make it count. Right. I'm not in the extended universe much, so I cannot confirm whether they withheld that, that bargain. I suspect probably not, but I don't know that for a fact, but the thought is there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just looked it up. Uh, Darth Vader has 12 minutes in A New Hope. Wow. And he is the most memorable part of that movie. Easily. Easily. Cool costume, so, cool voice, cool lines, cool mm-hmm. everything. So I, I feel like, you know, you get Arnold Schwarzenegger, this, this towering presence in a movie. And yeah, the temptation is put him in a lot. Do a lot with him. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think the better choice would have been do little, you know, do a lot with him, but in a small amount of time. Like really maximize the time maximize the efficiency with that character i agree it's kind of like the uh i i think of like pirates of the caribbean um the first movie is it's the story of um i don't remember the character's name is orlando bloom and kira knightley and like, their <laughs> love and the most and the most memorable part quite rightly is johnny depp as jack sparrow there's a reason as the breakout character from that uh from that movie so their instinct when they made four more is like, let's give them more scenes and eventually make them the main character. And you know what? They were not as good. <laughs> because yeah. Although my, it's, a small, my, it's a small doses kind of character to me. I, I think that's fair. Or make them the main character, but like, don't bring back the other main character. Right. I think they, they're, they're not as, they're not as interesting. They and, really aren't. They really are not. <laughs> and when you try to like do just as much as, with them as you do with the more interesting character who are you now also making the main character it gets really awkward. Agreed. 
Totally agreed. Um, it's kind of like I think I think a good counterexample would be like the Pink Panther series, right? Yeah. Like like Inspector Clouseau wasn't the main character of that first Pink Panther movie, but he was so good. They're like, okay, let's just keep making movies with this character, and they didn't bring back any of the other ones because that was the that was the character. So they just made a whole bunch of movies about Captain Jack that really had nothing to do with their first Pirates of the Caribbean. I think that would have been the better choice. That's an astoundingly good counterexample. You're 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 exactly right. That's exactly what they did. Um, like Robert Wagner was like the main character of the first Pink Panther. He was in it, but I think it was David Niven who was like David Niven, of course. I think Ragn- Wagner was in it. It had a really good cast, and like Peter Sellers as Clouseau was just kind of like a minor funny part in it. I mean, he was a major part of the movie, I should say, but he was like the fourth main character. Yeah, he was like he was like an extra ingredient that kind of made it sizzle you know or something I, that's a mixed metaphor but you know what i mean <laughs> um we gotta find a way to review those pink panther movies on this show jimmy those are we are the pop culture yeah. historian we can do whatever we want <laughs> that's right we're not mandated to be toyetic at all we can do, we can do whatever <laughs> we want maybe one day maybe we'll be funko pops oh man can you imagine no. <laughs> up there with uh walter white <laughs> yeah that'd be great <laughs> um yeah, uh, so yeah, that's the production. I will say, um, obviously, uh, it didn't go on to gross a whole lot. Uh, it, it, its final gross in the United States was 100 million, which sounds like, oh my God, burn everything down and collect insurance. This was 26 years ago. It's not horrible. And it made uh, about, two, about 230 worldwide altogether. So, in financial terms, it probably broke even. Um, Certainly didn't I mean, make it was money. a success. It was. It made money, right? Like, because the movie didn't cost two hundred thirty to make, right? You know what? No, it didn't. It made about one hundred sixty. So yeah, it made money. Uh, it made money. Yeah, it was a financial success. It technically made money, uh, but not as much as I think that they were hoping for. I don't think it mm-hmm. made as much as uh, Batman Forever. So that was kind of it for. Uh, this Batman series. At one point, though, this was not always the timeline it needed to be on where this was like the franchise killer. Very early on, Warner Brothers was so impressed with the dailies that they saw that they immediately had greenlit a fourth sequel. It was going to be called Batman Unchained. Uh, It would have come out in 1999. Schumacher would have returned to direct. Clooney, O'Donnell, and Silverstone would have returned a man named Mark Protsevich would have written the script. It would have had the Scarecrow as the main villain. The Joker would have returned as a fear toxin-induced hallucination in Batman's mind. I have to imagine they would have at least tried to get Nicholson back for that. I don't, I don't know what the purpose would have been otherwise. Um, Harley Quinn would have been a supporting character, this time rewritten as the Joker's daughter looking for revenge against her fallen dad. A choice I don't like at all. But... Um, because well, <laughs> I don't like Joker. I don't, I don't like when the step. Joker had a daughter that we never mentioned before in the first movie. <laughs> I don't know stuff like that always drives me nuts. Um, and a casting note: Nicholas Cage was approached to do the Scarecrow. Oh, okay. Now that I would have gone on board with. Yes, but the part <laughs> allegedly, allegedly was offered to Coolio. What? The, and the reason I say allegedly is because this was confirmed by Coolio. So I don't know how <laughs> this was in an interview where he, he's explaining because he has a cameo in Batman and Robin, as you may recall. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, and so I guess he was interviewed like, why? Why did you take this cameo? And I guess it was like a stepping stone. It's like I'll do a cameo for this movie because you're gonna offer me the villain role in the next one. Kind of sounds like BS, in my opinion, but I don't want cool. Coolio's passed on, right? Did he? Uh, I I, so. You know, that's how little I know about Coolio. Okay. I, but he didn't, like, embark on a acting career, did he? Okay, yeah, he did pass away. Okay. I was going to say, like, I don't want Coolio to come over here and kick, kick my ass, but... um, His, his estate will, though. Is it, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to piss off the Coolio estate. So, <laughs> he, he has a film career, but it's stuff like Leprechaun in the Hood as, like, himself and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason I would doubt it. It, it was someone like Moe's death. Who, and Futurama and stuff, yeah. Like, yeah, it was someone who actually like had, someone who was in, in music who actually went on to have a decent film career. Then I might be more right. inclined to... It was like Tyrese Gibson or someone. like. Yeah, like I said, like um, Ludacris, right? Ludacris, sure. Yeah, why Mo's, not? Most death. I actually think he's, a, he's an yeah. actor. Like, Yeah, he's great. Um but yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I, so who knows? So there's a there's a there's a world where this movie did well enough that they move forward with Batman Unchained, starring maybe Julio. Um, uh, <laughs> but then not not to be. It didn't make as much as it did. It, it had horrible reviews, horrible word of mouth. Um, every, this is a movie that just everyone hated. I, that's that's my like my main memory of it. Like a couple years after its wake, because everyone just hated it. <laughs> like it was this instant punchline. Uh, two thumbs down from uh, Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> not not surprising. So they that that was kind of it for Batman for almost a decade, and it's <laughs> kind of the course was changed forever on terms of like what Batman can look like. And we'll get into legacy and stuff. I, I, it sounds like I'm wrapping up, and we're not to get further from the truth. But um, we <laughs> <laughs> cast notes, baby, and what a cast it is. Um. So I don't know. I it's it's I, I wish I wished it was a little worse. So I could sit there and go, yeah, no, absolutely. This is like this deserves to be like this epic failure from '90s Hollywood that it has a reputation of. But I also wish it was a little better. So I could say, like, no, everyone's wrong. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't quite get myself to either point, which doesn't make for compelling podcasting, unfortunately. But um, those are the production notes I have. We can transition the cast notes if we want. Or yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the cast. Let's just start from the guy at the top. You know, it did strike me that this is a cast. If you had to summarize the '90s <laughs> in a bubble, you do worse than like George Clooney, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman, uh, Alicia Silverstone. That kind of covers. Yeah, it covers a lot. It covers a lot. Absolutely. This is yeah. This cast is super '90s. George Clooney. My pig-headed? Is it? Is it always my way or the highway? Bruce Wayne, Batman. Obviously, we know him from our beloved ER. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great show. Yeah, it's a great show. That's just, that's good. Maybe we'll do Pink Panther, and then we'll just we'll do we'll go through all of <laughs> ER. <laughs> we gotta get people, we gotta, people are clamoring for that one. We gotta at least get to the John Stamos years, you know? Like <laughs> that's when it really starts to get really good. Um, it's funny to for, it's easy to forget because obviously he's just like he gets the tag of like our last last great movie star like he's just like this assumed 
movie star royalty. 1997, that was not, not really a guarantee. There were real questions as to whether he could make the leap from TV to movies, which seems silly now, but that was the real question. And like this movie didn't really help him out in that regard. Um, well, luckily, like he, was, he, was, yeah. he was still filming ER when this movie was filmed. He did not leave ER for this. He did not leave ER for this. Good move. That could have been yeah. catastrophic. Yeah, because ER, it should be noticed for anyone who's not familiar, ER is, of course, a medical drama. ER standing for emergency room. And it's a medical drama that was super popular in the 90s. I mean, it was a really popular show. And it was 25, George, 30 million viewers every week. Every night, yeah. yeah. And um, George Clooney was, that was his breakout role. He wasn't even necessarily the main character on it, it did have an ensemble cast, but Anthony Edwards early on was technically that main character. Mm-hmm. But just People love George Clooney on it because just many women found him handsome and he's a really good actor. And so he was really good on ER and kind of got like a bigger role as a, as he, he got more popular as an actor and character. So after two seasons, the show is popular enough for them to give him the role of Batman. Which is a big deal. And like, they even kind of like found a way to like pseudo write him out in season three, like his character is like in therapy. And that's why like anytime like George Clooney was too busy to film. Like it's because like his character Ross is in therapy. Oh, um, right, I forgot <laughs> about that. Uh, but he he stayed on the show till season five. So you know, three more years after this movie bombed, or maybe they were filming it. So two more years after yeah, the movie bombed, he was um he was still on this major TV show, a really popular television show. Yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. It didn't go full David Caruso, um, which, you know, is always a good move. Of course, David Caruso famously uh, left NYPD Blue after the first season to become a movie star, and his film career crashed and burned. Yeah. Did William Friedkin's Jade. That didn't really turn out. Um, CSI Miami worked out, though, so there you go. Right, but that's, He's got to wait that's 10 years. That's how he, he got beat down by... Lack of success that he finally went back to TV. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I David Crusoe was that good of an actor, but we're not going to. This is no, not a that, David Crusoe podcast. When, after, after we do our um, Pink Panther and ER um, retrospectives, we'll do NYPD Blue. Yeah, of course. And we'll, 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 we'll cover, <laughs> he'll cover his one season. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. It's not like he was doing only garbage movies. I mean, he did stuff like from Dust Till Dawn, like it's like Robert Rodriguez and stuff like that. Like he wasn't just doing garbage, but there was some garbage. It's like Return of the Killer Tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> this was, you know, it's interesting. I was sitting there going, like, I know this was supposed to be like his big breakout. It didn't really pan out. But I'm looking at like his filmography between like this period and like when he kind of just became like we all just kind of went like yeah he's a movie star which is probably like eh, Ocean's Eleven probably mm-hmm. there's not really there's not really like a breakout movie here it just kind of felt like it's like the slow roll his breakout role is probably ER right but like yeah it kind of felt like he just kind of went like I'm just gonna start doing more good yeah. movies and then people will just go with it and I think that's what happened yeah he just yeah he just did like Three Kings he did Three Kings I'm not <laughs> I like you trying the perfect storm, but that was a big movie, and of course, I like I like perfect storm when I saw it, but I haven't seen yeah. it in a long time. It was fine, but he was he was the big bill for that. Of course, Oh Brother Rothschild was a classic, <sighs> great movie, great movie, and you know we got the Oceans Eleven. So yeah, I think you're right. He just like he didn't necessarily do a huge temple blockbuster movie like this one, but he just did a lot of summer release movies where he was the main bill. He was the main star of it. 
And yeah. Some of them were some of them were really uh really really popular, like really well liked. Yeah. I, it's it's funny too. I'm realizing like I feel like I've seen a lot of these. It's like, well, of course, again, I uh, my mom was my mom. My mom, like a lot of other moms in the nineties and two thousands, had a big old crush on George Clooney. So we saw a lot of George Clooney movies. So I kinda got to <laughs> see this all happen in real time. Um, it's a path that I don't think is going to get replicated again for a while. Like just like become a huge hit on TV. Then you just kind of start doing consistently good leading man work. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're a movie star. I don't know that the system's set up like that anymore. Well, I think, I think we're in a system shift and I don't think it's done shifting. And until... yeah, as of this recording, there's major strikes going on and I bet I'm willing to bet they will still be going on by the time we drop this. Yes, probably. So yeah, you got the Hollywood writer strike going on, which many actors are supporting. You also have um, streaming taking off, but also not really taking off. Uh, you know, you have, some movies, you have a lot of movies bombing on the box office, but some doing well. And so we're, we're in this transitionary period. And it's, I, I don't have a prediction for the future. I, you know, whether or not this, this kind of thing will happen again. Um, because I, cause it's, I, it's I hard to so. imagine... It's hard to imagine, even like the popular shows of the past couple years on streaming, like Stranger Things and stuff like that, none of those shows get the amount of views that ER did in its prime. That's just or, a fact. Or, yeah. yeah, because there's, there's so many shows. Like it used to be you had four networks to choose three networks in the 70s, right? But mm-hmm. you know, in the time when of the 90s, Fox showed up. Yeah. And Fox showed up, but you had four, four networks to choose from. So all the best TV writers were working for those four networks. And so that's where the best stuff was. And now there's so many streaming platforms, so many cable networks, and it's just so spread out. I don't know you're going to have, like, you're ever going to have, again, someone be able to go, like, be on a TV show that gets 25 to 30 million viewers every, every week. And not having that makes it hard to do what George Clooney did. Yeah, it's hard to predict. I don't know that it's ever going back to the old way, but you kind of hope from the uh, kind of the ashes of the system as it currently is, because it's on fire. It's it's about to crumble, I think. And hoping from there can be something different that we can't quite quantify yet because it hasn't happened that does kind of allow for... So I understand that people just like straight up like don't want to like watch ads. That's kind of why the network model crumbled, right? Because at the end of the day, if we can skip ads, we're going to do it. So I don't see I don't see it returning to like how things were in 1994. But like if something can come out of like this era of like too much too much TV, we're not in peak TV. We're in too much TV. Something can come down where people can kind of get paid fairly to appear in these things, and you know if they become hits, get paid for <laughs> you know residuals and stuff at a fair rate. It'd be exciting. It'd be cool. To, it's cool to see people take leaps like from TV to movies and stuff. Like it'd it, it, nice if someone from like one of the kids from Stranger Things could become like a legitimate movie star. And I, you know, I, it, I don't know that's really set up like that. So we'll just have to wait and see, you know, <laughs> Chris, are we, we done with Clooney? Want to move on to Chris? I mean, yeah, we can move him on. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about Clooney now. Okay. Yeah. Um, not that not, I like talking about Clooney, but you know, <laughs> I don't really like talking about Chris. <laughs> I want a car. Chicks dig the car. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Seems like a nice guy. He seems like a, he's got level head. He's been working in the industry for like 
30, 40 years. So this is not about him. I just don't like his Batman. I mean, I just don't like his Robin. It's a bad Robin. I think he's a bad uh, actor. I'm sorry. I, I, I've never seen him in something where I, I liked his performance. You didn't like him in Vertical Limit? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like him in The Bachelor or whatever that was? I never saw that one. But I did see Vertical Limit. I think I might have seen Vertical Limit. That's a rock climbing movie, right? I think no? I think I showed it to you once. I think it was like... You might have. I think it was on demand. And like I was like, oh, this movie sucks. You should watch it. Um, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds and that's right. a movie where it starts out where like he and his sister and father are rock climbing. And like something terrible happens, and he has to basically kill his father. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I've no, at least okay. seen that. I've at least yeah. seen that. And he's like, he's like struggling. They close his eyes, and he just like cuts the cuts to the core. And of course, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I know we're laughing because it, obviously it's a very dramatic way to begin a movie. But just something about the way it's done is really awful. I just remember it looking very low rent and like not convincing, like in the yeah. editing, you know, like right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the only returning people uh, from this movie. Um, between this, there's not much to say. I think we set him up pretty nicely. I think we did. Hopefully, we did. Um, you guys should go back and listen to our Batman Forever episode and check. But um, you like that plug? Um, he did knock out two movies I had not heard of between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. 1996's The Chamber and 1996's In Love and War, which both sound like Fox reality shows to me. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. Kind of not a whole lot going on. I mean, he worked consistently, but like, I think his next type, ironically, he did the reverse Clooney. He went to TV after this. Uh, did like, I don't know, 35 years, 35 seasons of uh, NCIS Los Angeles, something like that. Mm. So, you um, know, he, okay. he's set. He's set. Yeah, he's good. I mean, admittedly, yeah. I've never watched NCIS Los Angeles, so maybe he's no. good in that. Um... I'm sure he's the same. <laughs> but <laughs> not just a bratty character i mean i don't know I, there's this belief that like how can we possibly do robin i've never seen anyone really try to do it is the thing and i don't think i don't think this counts as trying to do robin in my opinion uh it's just eh, he's just bratty whiny he's a liability as you mentioned besides that he's great <laughs> and admittedly none of those are chris, chris o'donnell's fault but he's also supposed to be charming and i don't find charming at all in this movie. In fact, I find him annoying. Yes. And I do blame Chris O'Donnell for that at least in a little bit. Yeah, we talked about that in Batman Forever a little bit. He feels like very much like the maybe the most 90s thing about this. Although, I don't know. Arnold Schwarzenegger sure um, may have that mantle locked <laughs> up. But yeah, he's worse. He's worse in this than he was in Batman Forever, I think. Um, and he wasn't great in that. But I don't know. Something about he has no, he has no chemistry with anybody. I, I think yeah, the stuff with him and Alicia Silverstone are usually like the most boring parts of the movie, which is a shame because it's like an hour's worth of the movie. <laughs> it's also too long. It's like two hours plus. That's two guys too long for something like this, in my opinion. Agreed. And it's not like it had a plot to justify it. Yeah, it's like we had we had we couldn't we couldn't lose a single minute of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Chris anymore. I want to talk about Arnold. Okay. <laughs> What is there to say, really, about him? Uh, True Lies, Predator, the aforementioned Predator, Twins, Terminator, T2, Running Man, Jingle All the Way. Movies of his that have come out before this movie, not to mention his huge career prior to the film, 
As a her. bodybuilder. Yeah, Mr. Olympus. Yeah. Um, Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Hercules in New York, when he was credited as Arnold Strong. Micro cameo in 1973's Long Goodbye. Robert Altman. So, uh, yeah, uh, he, he already had a full career. And yet, again, this might be kind of the quintessential Arnold Schwarzenegger role, just in terms of, like, doing something stupid and then saying, like, a crazy pun afterwards. <laughs> Um, and this is before he became governor of California, too. So uh... yes, yes, he's, he's he signed our paychecks for a spell. Um, it was very <laughs> weird. It got to the point where, like, I would go. I mean, I traveled a little bit when I was a teenager, not a whole lot, but here and there. And like, yeah, I'd go visit like my dad, like in the on the East Coast. And that'd be like the number one thing people would ask me when they found out from California. It's like, oh, what's Arnold like? Uh, I don't fucking know. He's the governor. Yeah, like. yeah, pretty, pretty boring. I don't know. Every <laughs> once in a while, he goes like, "I'm gonna blow up the car tax or something," and then he kind of just does like boring governor stuff. <laughs> uh, we did have to deal with um, years and years and years of the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions you've ever heard, uh, including the one I just did. Uh, that was kind of what life was like for about ten years in this state. Yeah. <laughs> it was just people doing that. It's weird. Yeah, it was weird. Kind of a weird path to governorship too. It was just like Gray Davis got recalled, and so there was like a special election, not like a normal one. I feel like he wouldn't have won a normal election. Probably not. And then like you just, you just like everyone got swept up in it. And I think everyone thought it'd be so funny to have him as governor. I legitimately think that's why he got elected. People just yes. thought it'd be so funny. And of course, like I think some people voted for him because they're like, he's a Republican, and I'm a Republican, so you know, probably gonna hopefully do some things. Although most Republicans mm-hmm. I've talked to didn't really like him as governor, but. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like, I feel like, he, I mean, I know we're kind of getting in the weeds here, but like, this never really comes up. Yeah, whenever like, because Republican govern, Republican leadership in California is, in modern days is pretty, is pretty rare. So I understand when there's a path to do it. But I feel like, yeah, some of his biggest critics were like other Republicans. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, go figure. Right. Which is also why I think he never, he wouldn't have run like one like a normal election. I know he did get reelected. But like once you've been in office for a little bit, you get more credibility than that's easier. Like yeah, a movie star. Um, yeah. So it, it was Schwarzenegger just jumped in in this weird like opportunity, and I feel like that kind of sums up his whole career too. He he is all about the timing. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, I mean, we've we've kind of covered his presence, and it's he's in, it feels like he's in every scene. They give him like an actual story, which is kind of kind of funny considering on paper he's just like yeah who, who killed the dinosaurs the ice age <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> um and yet i can't imagine this being anyone else if they had gone with ed harris i think this movie would have been a lot more boring i like ed harris absolutely i think ed harris would have had the same problem with the did he's a real actor mm-hmm. playing a cartoon speaking of uma thurman we should go to uma thurman right now uh, poison ivy. One of the things I probably should have mentioned this earlier. I'm poison. This was post Pulp Fiction, which I guess makes sense. It, it it feels like it shouldn't be, but it totally is. Um, great movie, Pulp Fiction. Uh, previously rose to prominence and stuff like Henry in June. Truth about cats and dogs. I think Gattaca might have been like the same year as this, maybe the year mm. before. That movie that everyone had to watch in like a chemistry class at one point in their high school career. It's, it's true. I did like that movie though. But I like true. Gattaca. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, like med- it's like medicine, man. No one ever saw that in a theater. They saw it in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine film, but, you know. Uh, I think this kind of represented the start of, like, a career decline for her. Like, stuff like The Avengers. Not Marvel's Avengers. But, um, you know, stuff like that, I think, kind of littered her resume for a while until um, reuniting oh, with... Uh, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, Kill Bill kind of put her back on the right path. So, um Maybe not the last time we see her in this series, depending on how you feel about if my super ex-girlfriend counts as a superhero movie or not. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. It it has to, doesn't it? I think think it might. I think it might. I don't want want to watch that movie. We have time time to hash it out, but um, it's possible we'll see her. I don't see how a movie with that title doesn't make it onto our list. Uh, but yeah, I, I, in my defense, I, I've never seen it. Maybe I'll love it. We'll find out. You will find out on this show. Dear <laughs> you got to stick around for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, she's the one I'm the most disappointed in. I mean, I guess Clooney, I was disappointed in too because I know he's better than this. But Uma Thurman, I think, I, again, we kind of covered it, right? Uh, she kind of plays it like a real role, which is, I think, is the wrong move. I think in her head, she sees what this. It's sort of trying to be like that kind of like it's a it's a 60s batman villain right this is not yeah. unlike like the Catwoman from from that show right she's just kind of right. like, aren't i beautiful and sexy and i'm gonna make little puns and stuff but she can't do it that's not right. what and thurman does no it's not what she does you know she's trying to be big and broad and that's you know you said it's not what she does it's a total miscast yeah. uh <laughs> She, I'm going to jump a little bit. She does have a big scene, and her big origin scene is uh, opposite John Glover, uh, who plays Dr. Jason Woodrow, who I only note because his biggest role, his most notable role, I think, for people our age is probably as uh, Lex Luthor's dad on Smallville. Mm. Um, so, you know, there you go. He stays in the DC family. Uh, TV was kinder to him. I, I, I think he's a little broad in this, shall we say? But yeah, somehow he somehow he he, he was too broad in this well, freaking movie, which is completely broad. He well, somehow he's, overdoes it. He's the one. He went on record as saying like it was kind of hard to like act in this movie because uh, Schumacher would get on the megaphone and go, "Remember, everyone, this is a cartoon," and then action. But I think that I think I actually think that the that's a good note. It is a cartoon. Schumacher is right about that. <laughs> I think you. I think he's. I, I just think John Glover did it, overdid it a little bit here. Um, yeah, but at the same time, like if he does a take and then Schumacher says, "No, I want more. It's a cartoon." Like whose fault is that? I, I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not convinced that's, that's Glover's fault. That's fair. And of course, we don't know that happened, but it kind of sounds like it. It might have. But uh, I hear that note and I go like, I'm not sure that that's an incorrect note. That is the vision that is being imparted here a little bit. But uh, who knows? Again, chaotic shoot. It doesn't sound like anyone really wanted to be there all that bad. (laughs) Except maybe Arnold. But only for 12 hours. Yeah. (laughs) It's 8 o'clock. I got to go. That terrible impression again. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have the energy. It's going to be bad whether I gear up for it or i don't so i'm just gonna do like low i'm gonna do like low mellow arnold okay um, alicia silverstone 
I already mentioned she wasn't great in this, and I uh, I echo that. This was sort of off the big career success. Of course, uh, there was 1993's The Crush, and of course 1995's Clueless. I think maybe one of the more fun movies ever made. I don't know if I'll say like the best because that's a that's a mighty that's a mighty high bar to clear. But I, it's one of the most satisfying movies that I can think of. I can watch it over and over. Yeah, I like I like that movie a lot. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I like that movie a lot. And yeah, that's the problem with Lisa Silverstone. That's the only role she can play. It's it's true. It's true. And I know I know that there wasn't a whole lot of career longevity for her. I, she also had like those Aerosmith videos, right? Like crazy and crying and all that stuff. Um, this was sort of the start of maybe an inevitable career decline. Um, the media was so goddamn mean to her throughout this, though. That I sort of have sympathy for her. They were so obsessed with her weight, which, if you watch the movie, seems ridiculous because she seems normal size. But that was fat in 1997. Because Wait, really? Everyone was... People commented called, on her weight? Yeah, they called, yeah they, called, they called her fat girl in the media. <laughs> yes. Jesus. This is all true. Yes. That's so weird. Because we were all, not we, I, I, we didn't do anything. But like, you know, people were just ghouls about this kind of stuff. And oh, they still, people still are. They people still, are. still are. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's why I think people need to disconnect from like what is considered like skinny and what is considered fat. Because this is considered overweight, apparently. Uh, so I, I have sympathy for her. And there may be a reason maybe why her heart wasn't totally in this. But it is a shame because it is clueless, and then that it's it's kind of like that's kind of like the movie. But she's so good in it that you kind of wish that there was like another really really great Silverstone movie, and it just wasn't this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 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 she, has know, the, she, has the, she has the most she, boring scenes in the movie. It's not great. Yeah, yeah I agree. I don't know. I, I think her yeah. her path would have been on a TV show. I think that's probably what she should have done. I think um, there were like a, attempts at some TV shows in the two thousand. There's like mismatched. There's like a whole bunch of like no one's gonna watch these kind of things um, <laughs> in like the two thousands. Um, right, there's a lot of those. Like well, sometimes, sometimes it's luck, right? Of course. And you know what? Having one hit, having one kind of like era defining movie is more than most are ever gonna have. So like that's its own little victory in and of itself. I just sure, yeah. I just wish they didn't call her fat girl. That's so cruel. I don't know. I don't, I don't, needlessly. Up. That is messed up. That's, yeah. I didn't know that. That's ridiculous. She, yeah. She looks... I can't even, like, fathom she looks like a normal person. movie and being like, wow, she's fat. Like, no. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> well, I also think, too, I mean, like, The Crush, like, Kennedy 3, she was, like, younger, and that's kind of, like, a sexualized role, and it kind of gets in this whole thing of, like, once we this... <laughs> Once you like like normal, it's like why I don't know. I think people get really weird and really cruel about that stuff really fast. And um, I don't know. It's just it's unfortunate, and I, I think it kind of hangs over the movie a little bit for me. And I know that the, that's not the movie's fault. Schumacher didn't do it, but it's just I can't help but think about it. <laughs> uh, a couple of returning favorites: uh, Pat Hingle and Michael Michael Goff. We finally get to say goodbye to Michael Goff after kind of being a central figure in like five episodes of this show. Uh, every single one of these Batman movies, minus the 60s Batman. And of course, in our other series, um, he was a celestial toy maker on an episode of classic Doctor Who. Or several episodes, I guess. A story of classic Doctor Who. 
And this is kind of like his biggest role in all. It's funny and like like the worst one. Like he gets like this big showcase. Like he's like a central figure in uh, Batman and Robin. And I think it was a good instinct. They don't really go with it. Where on paper, have. well, on paper it makes sense. But you're right; they didn't go for it like they should have, or they could have. Um, I, it's the coincidence of like, oh, both both uh, Freeze's wife and uh, Alfred have like the same like rare disease. It feels a little stretchy to me, but I guess like I'm okay with it for the dramatic tension of it. But like, it makes sense, quote unquote, right? It, it makes dramatic sense. It doesn't make like real world sense, but I'm okay with that with this movie. Like this movie is not trying to make real world sense. Um, but what doesn't make dramatic sense is like, we don't really see Batman struggling with it, with like Alfred going through the disease. Like we see him get sad about it, but it doesn't, it doesn't appear to affect any of his actions other than him trying to get freeze to give him the cure. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like emotionally, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm admit wrong. But it's yeah. just, um, it didn't. It didn't get it. It didn't get. You didn't get what you wanted a, out of it. Yeah, it was a missing link. Even if like it was supposed to be like, Alfred was trying to get Bruce to rely on Dick Grayson because uh, he felt he was going to be going soon and he wanted Bruce to have family. I feel like that's what they were trying to go for, but it didn't come across. Right, like. And I don't know. I, I guess I felt that whole thing was just super messy and not well done. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that's kind of where like the three kind of aspects of this movie all, kind of all align to like reveal like why this movie I think falls short. Because as much as I want to be like, it's a vis- it's a visual feast. And yeah, it looks like 60s Batman, but that's the goal. And I think it, it achieves its goals of being like a live action cartoon at its best. But then when you get right down to it, when it tries to actually have like a heartbeat, it can't do it. And that comes down to Clooney like falling short. That comes down to the script falling short. And that comes down to Schumacher falling short on that stuff. I think they're all kind of responsible in their own ways. Clooney can't sell that stuff. I've seen him do it. He doesn't do it here. <laughs> um, he did it on ER. So it's not like he had to learn how to like do it. Like he could already do it. So whether that's material not living up to, you know, what he was hoping for and he kind of draws back as a result, whether that's Schumacher not being able to draw it out. Um, that's kind of damning because he's a naturally charismatic and like he very, he's very good at conveying emotion without doing a whole lot. So the fact that like that can't be done here in a fairly simple story, that's bad. That's fair. That's a, I think that's a really fair criticism. Uh, and Pat, Pat Hingle, of course, comes back as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Always nice to see him. Uh, he did continue the character in a series of Batman OnStar commercials in the early 2000s. So this is, <laughs> we won't be reviewing those, but he did go on to do it. Yeah, that's funny. A couple more here. We'll we'll just kind of roll through here. Bane, played by Robert Swenson, a name I didn't really—I don't think I ever really explored who played Bane. It turns out he's a pro wrestler, which kind of makes sense, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died like a couple months after this movie came out. Died of oh, a heart Jesus. attack. That's awful. Uh, probably. Probably related to steroid usage. He was a user since like his twenties, um, you know. But he 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 had famous friends. Um, <laughs> Hulk Hogan and James Caan both spoke at his funeral. So I mean, he made the most of his relatively short time here, and he was Bane. 
before Tom Hardy did it. So there you go. We don't, we haven't talked much about Bane. I, I think. <laughs> I actually kind of like Bane in this movie. I know I like that's Bane. an unpopular opinion. Cause they, no, they don't, I agree with you. They don't do like a good job making him like, because Bane in the comics is a real character who actually has like intelligence and stuff like that. Here he's just like a souped up, like souped up with Venom and kind of stupid, but I don't know. There's a little moment that I think exemplifies why I think this movie could be argued to be good. And I think it's in the spirit of what Schumacher was going for. It's a little moment where uh, Poison Ivy, I think it's Poison Ivy, and Bane are driving like in a car. I think they're like trying to like be incognito. Like I think uh, Poison Ivy's probably in like her like normal <laughs> like hair down kind of nerd thing. And Bane is sitting there in like his like luchadora outfit because he has like he has like a wrestling mask on and like all this shit on him. And then he's wearing like a overcoat like a fedora. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I'm like, yes, that's perfect. That that right there. <laughs> that's that's what Batman and Robin wants to be at all times, and it only does it fleetingly. <laughs> That is fantastic. I love that that's like him undercover. It's like a little hat. <laughs> it's almost like the most conspicuous person to maybe exist on the planet in that moment. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he, uh, he's good. I mean, I know it's kind of like, a, it's probably like not comic accurate and like disrespectful or whatever, but I don't know. I, I've, I've never been able to shake uh, Bane from this movie. I liked him when I saw it as a kid. I still kind of like it now. I agree with you on that. Uh, we don't really need to get into these people, but there are some notable faces that pop in, in here. Uh, Elle McPherson is uh, like, know, like half a scene as uh, Bruce Wayne's girlfriend. She proposes to him, which I guess that's, I guess that's, you know, that's. That's a George Clooney joke, right? It has to be. It has to be. Because if, if you weren't alive in the 90s or weren't paying attention, I guess, like George Clooney was kind of famously a bachelor. Like he. He's like he was always talking about how he didn't want to get married and stuff like that. Of course, he is married, but yes, in the yes. '90s, he was kind of famously a bachelor. So, you know, they they had like they put that into the Bruce Wayne character, I guess, with like reporters saying like, "When are you two gonna get married?" And you know, Bruce looking awkward and like, uh, "Help me out here." <laughs> no, I think you're dead on. I think that's exactly what it was. I don't think I clocked it as such. But that's exactly what it is. It's not a bad joke. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, um, it's just it's a joke that loses half its premise over time because he's married. People, now. <laughs> you know, he's married now, and like younger people watching this, if there are younger people watching this, uh, aren't going to get that joke. Yeah, it's almost like too topical by half, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ellen Fierce, I think, was in a couple episodes of Friends, right? Wishing? I don't remember. So many people were in Friends. <laughs> yeah. That show was like freaking Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt were in Friends. Like, <laughs> I think Robin Williams was alone was too, I think. I think Robin Williams was in like an episode, right? Was he, he, like, I don't remember Robin Williams, out? but I could be mistaken. I could, be, I could have forgotten. And so it's like, like... It's 10 years worth of show, man. It's so much. It's 10 years worth of show where it was like super popular all 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so... I could pretty much, like, that's one of the very few sitcoms, so they could have gotten whoever they wanted on there, at least for an episode. So I think uh, the Bill Clinton and George Bush were uh, in an episode, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, no hard feelings, right? Like, um, <laughs> I, guess it'd be Al- I guess that joke would work better if it was Al Gore and George Bush. Yes, that would have made more sense. But, so uh, pretend, I, pretend I said that instead. You can um, also retake it. We're recording this, Ryan. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so this is, we're not live on the radio right now? <laughs> 
No, it wasn't that funny. Uh, and uh, I we already mentioned Coolio, kind of a proxy, so I'll just skip over that. Um, Vivica A. Fox plays. Uh, this is the last one, and then we'll get into superlatives. Um, Vivica A. Fox plays freezes like second in command helper. I don't know what she was. I had, I did have to look up her name uh, in the movie uh, on IMDb because I never say it. Her name is te- officially Miss B. Haven. Pretty funny, huh? Oh, Jesus, I'm glad they didn't say it. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. Well, you know, go. I will say like both Schumacher movies had a woman in that role. Well, there's two for Two Face. Uh, right. Forever. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's a Fox here for Freeze. So there you go. You know, um, yeah, it's a good. Yeah, Drew Barrymore, I think, was. Uh, Drew Barrymore was like sugar. the yeah. the yeah the the um. Not the good side of Two Face, but like the kind of like the plant, like the like the, the the sweet normal side, right? Yeah. For those who haven't listened to the show before, what we do at the end of these episodes is we hand out a few awards, superlatives, whatever you want to call them. It's basically a way to capture anything we might not have talked about in the general discussion, and as a way to kind of mark what makes these movies special, whether good or bad. If we talk about it's only a few. We have like something best line, best use of superpower, and of course, the ever important MVP award. And MVP can be anything. It normally goes to like an actor or director, but it has gone to like a location before. Um, <laughs> not that long ago, MVP award went to another movie entirely. So anything can happen. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Casablanca was the MVP of Barbed Wire. So anything can happen uh, in this section. So hang on. We'll start with the, uh, let's kind of work our way into this a little bit. Um, moments you wouldn't see today. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's my turn to go first or if it's yours. but uh, I don't know either. I'll just go. It's the layup answer, but it's the nipples and butt shots. That wouldn't happen now. No, it wouldn't. Um, there's a lot of them <laughs> in this one, <laughs> which isn't necessarily a problem, but it stands out. They just, they just, they just wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Well, it was criticized at the time in Batman Forever, and I feel like Schumacher just said, like, okay, well, now I'm going to do it even harder. Um, yeah. Well, you know, there's, and he does one of Batgirl, too, so it's not, it's, you know, it's equal. <laughs> there's a um, shot of her behind in there, so, you know, I guess it's all even, but it's, yeah, it stands out. <laughs> Yeah, so for me, that's the obvious one. Since you went first, I'll go with something different. Perfect. Maybe not as good, but I feel like the design of Gotham City, I don't mm-hmm. see happening in today's um, movies. And of course, Gotham City is designed as a like, ridiculous city, like, um, you know, really futuristic. It feels like a weird city from an old German expressionistic movie. Um, it's big, it's gothic, it's unrealistic. These days, they intentionally make them look like Chicago or New York or, yep. or something like that. It, that's the I biggest mean, that, change from that's the biggest change from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight. Yeah, <laughs> Batman Begins is probably the last movie that does that. But even Batman Begins doesn't do it as hard as this one. No, um, it's very stylized here. Yeah, it's it's cool. It is, and I feel like. 
Uh, hopefully I'm wrong, but I feel like that's just something you don't see at all in superhero movies today. I completely agree. I completely agree. Best use of superpowers. Um, and yes, I think, I think we can qualify uh, stuff like the, um, the Bat American Express card. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that can count if you choose, if you choose to pick it. <laughs> Seven minutes. Never leave the cave without it. Uh, what do you have for best use of superpowers? Um, you know, uh, I got to go with the toys. Uh, I like the, the flying bat, Batmobile thing they had towards the end. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, I, you know, even like the ice thing. Like, I, I, I enjoy the, the design of those. And, and um, you know, I feel like that's what Batman brings to the table as far as superpowers go. So all those gadgets and vehicles and stuff. Where did you get those wonderful toys? Yep. I'm going a different direction. I don't know if this has happened. Well, it's probably happened once or twice. But I'm going with a villain superpower. And I... I no, this, this clearly counts as a superpower. It's just yeah, yeah, of, okay. yeah. Um, I think the idea of like a poison kiss from a seductress is a really intriguing idea for a villain. And I think Schumacher... It's probably uniquely qualified to like make that into something. I obviously the movie has its faults, and I don't think it's elegant about any of it. But I, I, I think if you, if you needed to tear two like men apart, having like a seductress who can like kill you by like kissing you, I think is a very very intriguing idea. Not one that you see much in like a blockbuster movie. I mean, Catwoman, Catwoman, and Batman Returns like a whole other thing entirely. But um. I don't know. It's 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 unique. I think I can see how, like, how people can like fall into trouble with it. Again, again, they, they, the way they do it with Robin is really stupid and dunderheaded and frustrating. But it's not a bad idea, you know, in isolation. And I think it's I think it's a very unique thing and a unique idea that I don't see another movie subsequently trying to improve upon. That's just kind of what stood out to me when I think about superpowers. I mean, I could go with like the ice gun or whatever, but you know, <laughs> I, I, anyone no, can go with the ice gun. That's fair, and that's also like it feels like something we wouldn't see in a movie today as well, because I think people are so, um, you know, uh, feel so strongly about seeing certain things on screen that yeah, it's Hollywood a real conversation would, right now. It's a, sure. Yeah, it's a real conversation right now, and Hollywood will not touch it with a ten foot pole. I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> best line feels like I'm feels, feels like I'm joking. Uh, best line. Uh, I mean, this, this movie's like 100% puns, pretty much. So, so you kind of have to pick one. I'm tempted to almost just play like the entire video. Uh, someone, <laughs> Scott Gardner of Internet Fame, uh, did like a whole video like 10, 12 years ago of just all of Arnold's puns all sequentially in a row. You feel like you're going crazy, but I'll just pick. I'll just pick one. I think I stepped on it earlier by actually saying it, but it's uh, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Because even as far as like those puns go, it doesn't make any sense, but it's goofy. Like I don't even know why he, I don't even know why he said it. So I'm gonna go with. <laughs> It's getting very quiet on this line, but I'm going to say, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. You know, I, I picked the exact same one. 
Oh not, my god! Not oh because, my god! Not because it's a good one. Because it's the first thing you think of when you the first thing I think of when I think of this movie. Because this movie got a lot of shit for all those terrible puns, and rightfully so. And that's the one that stands out because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> I don't know why he said. I'm 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 really trying to remember like what the context was. I don't think there is. It was in the beginning of the movie, and they were in the museum. Oh sure, okay. And so there's a big dinosaur statue, and so. And Schwarzenegger yeah, yeah, yeah. sells this line. I mean, he's just like, what killed the dinosaur? The ice age! And he like, blast ice everywhere. It's like, ah! It's way better than like, stay cool, bird boy. Like, that's like, that's like a, that's like a three out of ten. This yeah. is like a ten out of ten. Yeah, like, it's, it's awesome. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna go with a different one then. I have a, I have a plan B in, in case you had. Break you had glass in case of emergency. Okay. I like it. Yeah. It's another Mr. Freeze line. And this one, um, I, I do think the Ice Age one is really dumb, but I also kind of like it because it's so freaking dumb. This one's just dumb. I'm picking it. <laughs> Allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well. It's the chilling sound of your doom. Allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well. For it's the chilling sound of your doom. <laughs> yeah. How many freaking... <laughs> Ice puns are there in that one line, and that's like all his dialogue is. Just like that's the that's the problem with his character in this movie. Like they actually give him like a serious backstory, and then they like they just freaking ruin it with so many ice puns. Yeah, I, that's like kind of like the schizophrenia of this movie. Like they really do try to like make you feel for Mister Freeze, and like that's all based off of like an animated series episode. Like those, the animated series does take Mister Freeze semi seriously because it is a tragic backstory. He has his fucking wife like on ice because she's gonna die of something. He's like, I'm a scientist. I need to figure out how to do this, and he becomes like an ice. His heart is so cold, he becomes ice. I mean, there's a really potent metaphor here. And he's going like, <laughs> who killed the dinosaurs? The ice age. <laughs> ice to see you. And so, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if he said that one actually, but still. But yeah. a, allow me to break the ice. My name is Mister. Allow me to break the ice. The chilling sound of your doom, like Jesus. I also like at one point he goes, "Hey everyone, chill, <laughs> chill." <laughs> It's like we got it, dog. Yeah, like, I know. It's okay. yeah. like... <laughs> All right, everyone. Chill. 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 Best line. Okay, well that kind of transitioned us pretty nicely into uh worst moment. Should we reverse it? We usually go worst moment, best moment. Is it more in the spirit to go best moment, worst moment, or should we try to end on something nice? I like ending on something nice. Worst moment uh, worst moment it is. Uh that's you. Alright, so there's a lot of potential ones to choose from in this movie, obviously. But there's one that stood out to me. Not one that I think people talk about that much. But there's one that stood out to me. I'm like, literally, if you took this, mo- this scene out of the movie, it'd be a better movie. And, I, and it was when, like, Poison Ivy and Bane, somewhere in the middle of the movie, like, find where they want their headquarters to be. And, mm-hmm. it's, and they first they have to, like, kick the ass of some, like, gang members who were already there, like, with the guys with, like, the skulls on their face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And the, way they, the way they depict, like, urban crime is, yeah. like, ridiculous <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. And they kick their ass, and I thought that it just didn't look very good from, like, a directorial standpoint, like, choreography. And then, like, they have, like, Uma Thurman, like, telling her whole plan to Bane, this ridiculous plan that, like, 
Sometimes the worst thing you can do is vocalize a villain's, villain's plan from a comic book movie because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, imagine if there was a scene in Civil War where, like, Baron, where, like, the, the bad guy, where Zem- yeah. Zemo is, like, telling Zemo him what, it, yeah. what his plan is. Everyone in the audience would check out because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, when you break no, down the not- villain's plan in Civil War, it doesn't make any sense. But you're okay with it because, like, it's supposed to be a mystery. And then we, you have to, like, think back on it. And you're like, oh, that didn't make any sense. But I don't care because I enjoy the movie. Yeah. And he keeps it high level, right? He's like, yeah. I, my plan was to tear them apart from the inside. You're like, okay, got it. All right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, how you did it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I'm going with it because it airport really scene, doesn't. This airport seems really cool. So let's do it. Like, Keep, no. Yeah. Like, like, none of the plans would really make sense. But, like, they're also simple enough where I could have followed them without the monologuing like i didn't i didn't need i didn't you just, all you have to do is give me the villain's motivation and let me see their actions i'll put their plan together and yeah. so you, you have this terrible monologue where like uma therma is like being big and broad and trying to chew the scenery sorry chew the scenery and i just thought it was like this awful scene i'm like this movie would be better if it were shorter and you took out half the scenes of the villain it took god seven days to create paradise Let's see if I can do better. Yeah, which is so like anti what these Batman movies have been uh, up to this point. Like the most memorable parts. I mean, we love Michael Keaton, but you think Batman one, it's like Joker, mm-hmm. Batman two, uh, Catwoman and Penguin. So yeah, it's a problem when you're like, can we get less villains in this? <laughs> <laughs> My worst moment. It's it's one that stuck out to me as especially egregious on this watch through. Uh, even more than like other things, because I, I, I'm I'm prepared and calibrated for like the camp of Poison Ivy and like all the puns. It's a Robin moment. It's I think it's supposed to be like a pivotal moment where like they're really like their their uh, their bond is broken and like I work alone now after this. And the setup, you may have to help me with a little bit, but like basically like Robin and Batman are like chasing after like the bad guys in like the respective vehicles, like Batman in his uh, Batmobile and Robin in like his bird bike or whatever it is. And I think there's, I think he's, Robin's trying to make like a dangerous jump and like a leap in order to like chase after the bad guys. And they're on like this like giant, gigantic statues. For whatever reason, Gotham has like all these gigantic statues in this Schumacher universe. Right. Which I actually like, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. I like them. Uh, the CGI kind of starts showing a little bit on Fair. them, but I Fair think enough. I like them in concept. It's like, it'd be a cool video game to play, right? Mm-hmm. And like they're driving down like the arm of like the statue, I think. And Batman's like, don't do it. Don't make that lump. You'll never make it. And Batman, uh, Robin's like, you can't tell me what to do. And so, right as he's about to like make this jump, Batman like deactivates Robin's bike from like his Batmobile, so it all turns off. He kind of just like collapses. Uh, the bad guys get away. Robin is stranded. <laughs> he looks at the he looks at the bat. He looks at like I don't think it's the Batmobile. I think it's like a, like bat plane. That's the only way this is gonna oh, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bat plane like flies over, and there's like this big shot of uh, Robin going ah at Batman, and it just he, it looks stupid. The whole thing doesn't hit at all. You just kind of want to laugh. It's supposed to be like this dramatic moment where like finally like this trust has been broken. And it's just Robin yelling and looking stupid, and the CGI looks bad, and it just it totally collapses. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah, Robin's stupid. Uh, it all, it's a bad scene, and uh, it's a it's a horrible hor- horrible yell. It just it just it. I don't know. I, I can't shake it as like the worst moment. 
That's fair. That is a very poor moment. And it, it kind of goes into, again, Robin was, like, Batman was right to stop. Robin would have died, or at least yes. injured himself. Like, like, he was making a poor choice here. And, it wasn't like, worth it. Like, it wasn't worth it. Like, and we're supposed to think, like, Batman's wrong for it? It doesn't make any sense. I totally agree. It's a, yeah, it's a frustrating, it's a frustrating movie. But not without its uh, high points, as we're going to find out right now with best moment. I actually strangely have a couple, um, which feels impossible, but I really do. Um, my runner up was, I think the opening, I think I learned this at the beginning, the opening 20 minutes actually promised a more fun movie than what you ultimately get. Because yes, it's like, you feel like you're on drugs, like all, all the stuff is happening all at once. But it does kind of have that spirit of 60s Batman, which I think is the ultimate goal of this movie. Yes, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, punning, like, his life depends on it. There's so much weird stuff going on. But I think it kind of works. I think what works even better as a point of, like, this is what the movie probably wanted to be at all times. It's Arnold uh, in his, like, ice cave having, like, his ice... He's, like, forcing his ice um, minions <laughs> to, like, sing along with Mr. Freezemeister. Her. It's an old holiday special, and like, it's playing. He's like, I'm Mr. Freeze Meister. I'm Mr. Snow. And I was like, Yeah, come on, everyone. Mr. Freeze Meister, come on. He's like, you're, like <laughs> conducting them with like a cigar because, of course, he has a cigar. Right. And uh, everyone's like freezing when uh, Mr. Freeze Meister. It's insane. Yeah. And it's perfect. And that's my best moment. Fair enough. That was one I hadn't considered. That, 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 that was, I kind of enjoyed that. He's yeah. Like, yeah. He's got like a um, like smoking jacket on and like a my, little drink and yeah yeah my one note is the cigar should have been an icicle <laughs> that's my one note uh my best moment came actually from the end the credits i'm kidding um <laughs> bazing <laughs> uh even though the, the climax of the movie wasn't very satisfying there was like a scene between batman and mr freeze um, you know, where Clooney and Schwarzenegger are actually, I think, given some halfway decent material and delivering on it. And it's, it's kind of like where Batman gets for used to, like, see the air of his ways and um, give him the, the, you know, he's find out about how Poison Ivy killed his wife and give him the cure so he can save Alfred. And it shouldn't work. But she's not dead. <sighs> found her, restored her. She's still frozen, alive. Waiting for you to find a cure. It shouldn't work, but it kind of does, I think. That one scene, and some of it actually has, I think it has to do a little bit with the makeup. Like, like, uh-huh. Reeves looks in terrible shape in this scene. And, like, he's struggling, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually doing a good job, like, you know, Ken has trouble speaking anyway, but, you know, he does a good job of kind of like being in pain and Clooney being like kind of a almost a using reverse psychology but also telling the truth and like being understanding I don't know I feel like the scene surprisingly works where it doesn't feel cheap when Freeze decides to 
turn against Poison Ivy and un and and give Ruth Wayne the the cure. In in a way that the movie was unable to feel earned otherwise. Otherwise. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, all of a sudden like, there's like this clarity <laughs> that wasn't present for the first 118 minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, these are entertainers. Like they can do it. It just mm-hmm. it's all just so fleeting, uh, unfortunately. MVP, MVP of Batman and Robin. Who do you got? I hadn't. I was hoping it would come. It would. This would come to me during the movie, <laughs> and it did a little bit. But I don't know the name. But I'm gonna give it to, like, the makeup and costume design and set design. Totally this fair. This movie does have a good look. It's both dark and bright, which is not an easy thing to balance, right? Um, but I, I like, I like, you know, Freeze's makeup. I like Ivy's, you know, her. I just like the scene where they like give the origin story of her layer. But I like her layer itself. I mean, I thought this had a movie had a good aesthetic. Um. You know, for for being because it was trying to be a cartoon, and I think they succeeded with that in a in a decent way. So that's that's who my MVP ended up being. I think that's a strong choice. I really do. I I keep coming back to Arnold here, which I know kind of feels insane, right? Because when you come, what the discourse around this movie sucking comes kind of back around to the, those puns mm-hmm. and it's a lot of puns it's just so many puns it's, it's too many puns and not death, enough death, yeah lines that death, aren't puns. death by a thousand puns um but um i think he's also the only one that's consistently in the spirit of what the movie's trying to get at even maybe more so than anyone like like behind the camera <laughs> um <laughs> and i think he's the only one that i don't think walked away feeling all that embarrassed and he shouldn't because i think he he's he's never apologized for it uh clooney has apologized for it uh goldman has apologized for it and schumacher has apologized for it Schwarzenegger's never apologized for it i think that there's a reason i think he knows he comes off okay in this even though like all of his lines are stupid and like there is sort of a confidence in him that i don't quite see from anyone else and frankly, he's the most interesting part about it. I think yes. he's the reason he comes to mind because he is the only one kind of doing it in the way that <laughs> the movie wants to be. And no I one, think that that counts for something. No other actor in Hollywood could say the line, what killed the dinosaur is the ice age. <laughs> no, Patrick Stewart could never. <laughs> um, <laughs> John Malkovich could do uh, Mr. Freeze. That'd be kind of interesting. I'm just trying to think of like 90s guys. <laughs> So yeah, I, th- I think he has to be. I think he has to be for me. Um, although, I think half of the reason he looks cool is because of um, that makeup and that uh, costume design. So I think, you know, that kind of speaks to your MVP choice as well. But Arnold for me. That's, that's probably the last thing that's going to yeah. happen, right? Uh, lasting effect on the genre. Well, it killed the genre for a couple of years. I mean, that's maybe no, maybe no I mean, more. Not really. Effect. It didn't kill the genre, right? Because we're about to have, I mean, you know, this is true. I mean, Blade and yeah, that, are right around the corner. That's true. I, I will say, yeah, killing it is sort of a misnomer, right? Um, killed the Batman like franchise. The, 
But even it the Batman franchise. It didn't even kill the Batman franchise for a full decade, right? Like eight years. Yeah, uh, Fantastic Four has been on ice for longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it's hard because like there, there's never like a there's never like a year. There actually is a year. I don't think 2001 had any like superhero movies really hmm. but like you know the 97 still had a couple more uh that we're going to be getting to here in the coming weeks 1998 brings us blade 2000 brings us x-men so like the bounce back comes quickly but i think there really was like this i mean to kevin feige's point i think there's this thing of like we got to make these feel more like the source material which again is a problematic statement i have my issues with it but i think you can kind of see that with um Especially Blade, where it's like that's a movie where like we're doing it like in the comics. We're gonna get an R rating. We're gonna make it bloody, all that stuff. We're gonna make it like what it is. Um, even, though, even though with Blade, they do have some significant things. Like in the movie, he's that vampire. That's not the case in the comics. He's just a normal vampire hunter. So even with Blade, I would say they they take some significant liberties. Good point. Good point. I know X Men. You know, it kind of, it's kind of funny because it felt very much like, ah, finally an X-Men movie. But even that one's kind of going like, huh, what's next? Yellow spandex or whatever? Yeah, so, so the, like, I, I think there, after this movie, there became a bit of a contempt in Hollywood. And I think that contempt was already there, but contempt for like brightly colored comic books. Because you, you look yeah. at Blade, that's a dark movie. But Blade being a dark movie makes sense. It's not vampires. Uh, but yeah. X-Men... X-Men should be a colorful movie. Uh, at least, you know, with, with, you know, at least different outfits, not these boring, like, leather black outfits, right? But it's not. It's, Agreed. It's a um, very muted movie. And, of course, some of that is, I think, Brian Singer's style. And we'll get to X-Men when we get to it. Yeah. But it's a long time. Well, not a long time. I'm sorry. I would say Spider-Man would be... Well, that's why, that's why I stopped talking, because Spider-Man is a colorful movie. But, um, it's, it definitely, I think, started a feeling in Hollywood that you can't have these ridiculous, fun, colorful superhero movies. And it lasted for like half a decade. And even then, Spider Man's like the only one. Like, right. Batman doesn't go this direction ever again, pretty much. Yeah. And, like, no, we're done with like Batman. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it earns it. I mean, I think. The audience, I mean, the audience is the ultimate decider, right? And if mm-hmm. everyone saw it and didn't like it, and that's kind of it, whether or not that's fair or not. And I think it's at least partially fair, if not fully fair. I know it has its, I know it has its fans. Um, but yeah, this is, it's sort of, it, it is sort of a monumental movie in that sense. I hate to kind of like, I kind of come around on Feige's um, kind of ultimate point there is I think this is like the turning point to kind of get us to where we are now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Clooney to this day still says, like, I'm never doing Batman again. Although, although that's not necessarily true. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen uh, the movie, but I'm pretty sure I've heard spoilers about it. That's, that's my understanding. That's my, <laughs> I think, but <laughs> so, you know, checks are, checks are nice. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of closes the door on Batman and Robin, except we have to read it ourselves. That's right. We've got two and a half stars from uh, Leonard Malton. What are we going to give it? We, of course, um, out of 10. Out of 10. 10 what? We're going to decide right now. I don't remember whose turn it is. Uh, I'll just go. Okay. Um, 
It's gonna sound kind of high, but I, I think it kind of fits for like, is it good or bad? And it's equally good and equally bad. I equally enjoyed it and equally did not enjoy it, which I think makes it good enough to be five <laughs> five rubber lips out of ten. <laughs> Um, I rubber lips out of 10. Yeah, this is tough. Right, so, you know, obviously I'm not very high in this movie. Obviously I'm not as high as you. Um, but at the same time, it's obviously better than like barbed wire and the crow too. Uh-huh. I'd agree. Uh, and so, Clearly like, I agree. Yeah, that lands me at about a four. Four rubber lips out of 10. <laughs> yeah. I think, that, I think that's totally reasonable. That gets us to the end of this week. Next week, we continue on with 1997. It's a banner year. Um, <laughs> 1997 Spawn. Spawn. Michael J. White. John Leguizamo. Have you ever seen Spawn, Jimmy? I did see Spawn in theaters with my father. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. I did not see this one. I did not see that one with my mom. Haven't, <laughs> I haven't, seen, it, haven't seen it at all. This will be a new experience for me. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, if you want to stick stick around and hear that, uh, you can always subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to hear uh, past episodes, I think we alluded to this at the top of the episode. We have gone through superhero movies all the way up to uh, you know, 1997's Batman and Robin. Uh, that includes 30s, 40s, and 50s serials. Uh, the Spider's Web, uh, Captain America, uh, Batman. There's Batman serials. Very racist Batman serials, but they exist. <laughs> um, you can listen to those past episodes if you're into chronologic classic Doctor Who coverage. We got you covered there. Well, we'll be starting up uh, season five. Season five here by the end of the year, I think. Probably by the when the calendar turns, we'll be getting that up going. Mm-hmm. Getting that up going. Um, and we just wrapped up another round of Universal monster movie talk we did that last year we did it this year for halloween so we have a whole back catalog of that if horror movies are more your more your ballywick so we got a little something for everybody that's what we're going for life lesson oh no we got uh, the, the, our, our social media stuff we are we're on instagram <laughs> at pop culture we got we got to give out the socials what kind of show are we we're uh, at pop culture historians podcast on uh, instagram at PC Historians on Twitter. And of course, there's Pop Culture Historians podcast.wordpress.com is our official website. Check us out there. Now, life lesson. It's a lot to, there's, a lot, there's a lot of life lessons to be derived from this. Uh, I am I, I, almost overwhelmed. Um, here's your life lesson. If you have a bratty sidekick who wants to kill himself doing like a, a dangerous stunt to show you up, just turn the other way. It's fine. No one's going to blame you. <laughs> You're Batman, you know? Yeah, that's what, fair. What, that's what, fair. Yeah. yeah. What are they going to do? Square up with you? No. Just let, exactly. just let, let, let him do it. Let him hurt himself. It's fine. <laughs> that's your life lesson. That's your life lesson. You don't have to worry about a partner anymore, so. Yeah. So, oh, darn. I guess I got to, like, I guess I got what I wanted. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> peace and quiet. Uh, okay. Spawn next week. For now. I'm Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. We are the Pop Culture Historians.
from within the podcasting multiverse. An incoming transmission from Seen and Heard's Greg Kleinschmidt. Hi, Ryan and Jimmy. I'm so sorry I couldn't be there with you guys to talk about Batman and Robin, uh, but uh, I will share a couple brief thoughts. I know I did touch on it briefly in the episode I did uh, with you guys on Batman Forever. I, again, uh, I really like the Schumacher Batman movies. I think they're not, they're so uh, cinematic, honestly. Like, I don't think Schumacher's a genius or anything, but what he's doing, I think especially what he started in Batman Forever is pushed to the extreme in Batman Be- Um, Sorry, not Batman Begins. Batman and Robin, I think it's like pushed to the extreme. It's dialed up t- even further. It's dialed up to 11. And, you know, you find references to, like, Joseph von Sternberg, like, Blonde Venus, Marlena Dietrich, with uh, Poison Ivy's dance where she's, like, in the gorilla suit and everything. So he has these very literate uh, inspirations, you know, that he's pulling from. You know, Joel Schumacher was a smart guy. And I just, again, it, it, it blows my mind that Batman and Robin is often known as the movie that killed Batman until, like, Nolan resurrected him a few years later. Uh, that's honestly insulting. <laughs> you know, the way that people get attached to, you know, someone says something, right? It's like in Crystal Skull. I'm not the biggest uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull fan. Uh, in fact, I think it's pretty bad. But people latch on to things. People latch on to the whole, like, nuke the fridge thing, which from the first time I saw it, I'm like, that's not a problem of the movie. Like, the movie has many other problems. But people like to fixate on this. And I think... In the internet age, which Batman and Robin is right on the precipice of, like it's early internet days, people fixate on certain things the way that people fixate on like when he pulls out like the bat card or whatever, like the credit card, people like grab onto these things and it's, it becomes this big echo chamber of like the bat card, oh, give me a break or whatever, like Mr. Freeze's punny one lines. And it's like, guys, have an original thought for yourself. I actually like... <laughs> just think also i i'm i have a feeling a little bit of both of your feelings towards it if it's anything what it was for batman forever i'm sure uh i'm sure ryan i'm sure you guys both appreciate it to a certain extent but you're also like uh this is a little much i i just i gravitate towards movies that are a little much i feel like i'm kind of all over the place here but the, it i feel like it fits the movie because the movie is so completely absurd The movie is decadent. It's over the top. It's preposterous. These are things I all I I like in movies. They're done well, and I genuinely think they're kind of done well in Batman and Robin. I think the two of them, Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy, and you even have Bane in there for good measure too. So like, I I like it. I like it. I saw this in the theater for my birthday when it came out, and was like nine and I had a huge crush on Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Uh, of course, Chris O'Donnell is ridiculous in it, but the visual design of the movie and the energy it has and the Elliot Goldenthal score, which is so larger than life. I'm just here for these things. And again, I think Batman Forever like is more well-liked by people because it plays it a little bit like more sane, like Batman Batman and Robin goes off the deep end, but that's truly what I like about it. So I will forever defend this movie. I don't think it's like 
a cinematic masterpiece or anything. Like, let me be clear there. I don't think this is like a misunderstood gem of cinema, but I really like it. Honestly, I almost do think it's an under- misunderstood gem. Like, it's just fun. Like, it's fun. And Nolan, a few years later, with Batman Begins, totally sucked the fun out of this franchise. And Schumacher gets criticized for bringing in the sort of 60s TV series Batman into his movies. And sure, they're so tonally different from what Burton had done with the first two. And those are like legitimately great movies and everything. But the Schumacher ones are just so much fun. And at the end of the day, like I said in your episode for Batman Forever, I would rather sit down with either of these two Schumacher movies than any of the Nolan ones. Just because the Nolan ones, I feel like, have not aged well. They take themselves too seriously. They're too long. They're too full of just convoluted exposition. The Schumacher ones are so free of that. The plots are simple. The score is blaring. It's brassy. It's big. It's bold. It's garish. The visual design of the movie, you have all this like neon graffiti. I like these things. So Batman and Robin for me is a good movie in my book. I enjoy it. And it's just so funny because of all the sort of like hot movie takes I think I have. This is the one that gets brought up the most of like the Schumacher Batman movies of like people. I I keep having to go to bat for these movies because people just hate them so much. But I feel I legitimately feel if people go back, I think a lot of people are just like haven't seen them in a long time or again, let the echo chamber of the Internet get to them. I think if you go back and actually like rewatch these movies like and not expect them to be some like great piece of cinema, they're not some profound character study, but like. There's so much fun. And I think, honestly, at the end of the day, like, there's so many not fun movies out there that also suck. And so the fact that, like, these are legitimately a spectacle, I think, is a treat. So anyway, again, I'm sorry I couldn't join you guys for this episode. But thanks for letting me come on and voice my two cents. Batman and Robin, forever and always. Love you, babe.